And Father, as we open your word tonight, I pray that we would truly delight ourselves in your presence. And so, God, just speak to us once more. Overwhelm us, Lord, just with the knowledge of who you are and the magnitude, God, of what you have done and what you continue to do day by day in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you turn and greet your neighbor? Greetings. Greetings. Good evening. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 17. Tonight we will be looking at the life of King Jehoshaphat. We'll be looking at his ministry for a, a couple of weeks, at least until next week. But today we're going to see these elements of Jehoshaphat, or at least of his life, which lend towards somebody who does what is right in the sight of God. Jehoshaphat's father, we saw it in the end of our study last week, King Asa. Asa did what was right in the sight of the Lord, although he wasn't perfect, and none of them will be, as we'll see the same thing with King Jehoshaphat. Problem with King Asa is he did not finish very well. But we see in verse 1 of chapter 17, it says then, after the death of King Asa, Jehoshaphat, his son, reigned in his place and strengthened himself against Israel. Against Israel, against the northern kingdom. The contemporary king in the northern kingdom at this time is Ahab and then as well his wife Jezebel. Ahab's testimony was one of the worst that we see in the Bible in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 30. Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. So although Ahab was king of Israel, he was not king as we know of all of Israel because the nation has been divided. So again, we have the northern kingdom, which is referred to as Israel. It's the ten tribes. We have the southern kingdom referred to as Judah. It's the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. Jehoshaphat would be king over the southern kingdom. Ahab and his wife Jezebel, they're in power in the northern kingdom. As far as this king of the southern kingdom, again, Esau's dead, good king who did not finish well, but there's great potential now in this new king, Jehoshaphat. So even though Ahab's testimony left a lot to be desired, Jehoshaphat's is going to be quite different. And so tonight we're going to look at elements of a godly man, elements of a man who God places his blessings upon. We'll see some of his downfalls and some of his issues in again, the weeks to come. But as for tonight, see all that has made this king as he is, that he would have a such, such a testimony as he does. So his legacy, his legacy should be that which is comparable to us because we are all one in Christ. So a man who walked well at times and then unfortunately compromised at times. He walked with God, and we'll see next week, he compromised with Ahab. Verse 2, and he placed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim, which Esau, his father, had taken. Well, he's concerned about foreign invasion. Syria is on the map and Syria has been making threats and even invaded other countries. 
Matter of fact, we'll see in chapter 18, their, their designs are, their focus is upon the northern kingdom. But Jehoshaphat, as he has this time, he's strengthening his borders, not just against Syria, but also against the northern kingdom as well. So what we see here is, is really our first concept to be just like Jehoshaphat, again, this man who sought after the Lord. He did just what was necessary in strengthening his borders. He did what we all need to do. He built and maintained a barrier between himself and the worldly and ungodly, the worldly being that which is contrary to the spirit. And so we need to look at this example in ourselves. What kind of borders have we built up? What kind of buffer between us and the world? Making determination and household, if, if you're married, with you and your spouse and what you guys allow in and what you desire to keep out. That which would influence you for godlessness and that which influences you towards God, godliness. Again, these are decisions that we need to make. When my wife and I were raising our children, there were things that were acceptable and there were things that were unacceptable. Every once in a while, there was a breach in the border that our children had made and something came into the house that was not allowed into the house. And we stood strong as a team because we did not want our household to be influenced towards Godlessness. And so... Have you set up your domain, certain strongholds to keep out that which is detrimental to not only yours, but your family's spiritual walk? Now, we saw this a couple of years now since we've been in Titus, but in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly or, or seriously, righteously, according to how God has directed us, and godly, following his example, in the present age, that would be for our age today, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, understanding that Christ is going to come back, he who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works, speaking these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one despise you. Two things and reasons that we are to be building barriers at our borders. Ungodliness, that which is displeasing to God. Worldly lust, that which destroys the souls of men. See, because of salvation, I've had a change of position. There needs to be something different about me. There needs to be something changed about the life that I live. I can no longer be a born-again believer and live a life according to the world. Because again, that's a big part of the witness that we exhibit is the changed lives that we live. As people see the difference in our lives, see the, the um, convictions that we hold to, that is to be a witness. And the problem within the church today, it's been diluted by the world. And as the church becomes diluted by allowing worldly concepts in, there's no difference or very little difference between the church and the world and the witness is what is hurt, and we don't see the church fulfilling its purposes. But as God has given us that change of position, we are then to have, number one, a change of attitude. As I have been forgiven, I am to be forgiving as well. 
I am to be a person who represents Christ in all areas of my life. I am to forgive as God in Christ Jesus forgave us, forgave me. How did God in Christ Jesus forgive you? He did so in grace. You were undeserving. I was undeserving before the face of God. I owed a debt that I could not pay. And because of the great love with which he had for me, he entered into my life and he saved me. He gave me grace. And by grace, I was saved. But then I'll turn to somebody who does me wrong and I'll become the lawyer once again. I'll be the taskmaster. And God says, no, no. As I forgave you, and I forgave you in grace, you were undeserving of it, so then you must forgive those who do you harm as well. And what is that doing? That's causing us to represent Christ. So there needs to be a change of attitude. There needs to be a change of appetite. I am no longer to hunger and thirst for the things of the world and what the world has to offer. Matter of fact, to the greater degree, I'm to hunger and thirst for righteousness. That is to have a passion for the things of the Lord and understanding the necessity for these things. Just as surely as I, as I have a desire for the next breath that I take, and when I'm thirsty, to have that cool, refreshing water. When I'm hungry, to have something to eat. These things that God has created us with. In my life now that I have been recreated, I'm to have those same passions for the Lord and the things of the Lord. No longer am I to have those lusts of the passions of the world. So there needs to be a change of attitude. There needs to be a change of appetite. There also needs to be a change of ambition. My old ambitions were for worldly advancement and for building a worldly kingdom. But now that my priorities change, my new ambitions need to be for spiritual advancement. Spiritual advance, advancement and all that I have influence over in my life that I need to be advancing in the Lord. Remember, if you're not moving forward, you're backsliding. And if you're staying static, that's a backslide as well. We are to reach forward to the higher calling in Christ Jesus. My wife, because of my existence in her life, not as a pastor, but as a Christian, she should be moving forward in her Christian life as well. My children, my grandchildren, and so on and so forth. People around me, people at the church, and my neighbors. As much as depends upon me that I would be that influence for the Lord, that my ambitions would be to see people come to Christ, and I would use my abilities and my resources for that purpose. Change of attitude change of appetite, change of ambition, change of actions. Again, putting off the worldly and putting on that which is godly. That I would make that determination that I was going to work at a condition that is holy before God. And it's going to take work because there's going to be the temptations of the devil. There's going to be the desires of the flesh. But I would be somebody who would fight the good fight. That I would overcome these things in my life and find victory in Jesus Christ and relish that and enjoy it. And, and the small victories that we have in our lives just to look back and to see where I was a year ago and see where I am at today in my relationship with Christ and see some advancement there and hold that dear and value that. And again, to see the area of my influence and to see that I've truly been able to have influence. My wife was talking to me the other day about somebody she was talking to, and I, I just don't remember exactly the details, but she was saying, yeah, and this person said, Pastor Mike said, and I'm thinking, wow, people listen. But that's a blessing. It's a blessing to understand that, that people, and I know it's not me, it's the Lord, 
but we're all able to have that influence. And, and so I need to have this change of attitude for those purposes, a change of appetite for these purposes, a change of actions. Again, taking off that which is worldly that I would not cause myself to stumble or cause somebody that looks up to me as an example to stumble. And then I would also have a different agenda. My agenda, my agenda would no longer be my agenda, but my agenda would be that which is the Lord's. As much as depends upon me that I would seek out the Lord once again through time of prayer, through time in his word, that I would understand to the best of my ability what God's desire, what his will is in my life. And as God reveals that will to me, that I would move forward in that. One of the best scriptures whenever I give a, or when I have in the past, given a topical study on the will of God, just, just real quickly, and most of you have heard this before, but I think it bears repeating, just to see how God worked in the Apostle Paul's life. I mean, it's important because this is the man that God used to turn the world upside down, and, and, and it just so easily applies to our life. It says in Acts chapter, it won't be on the board, but in Acts chapter 13, verse 1, it says, now in the church that was at Antioch, so it's as if the Spirit is showing us, hey, check out this church here. Here's this church. This church just happens to be in Antioch, but here's a local church. And he could be saying the same thing today about the church in Ontario or wherever it might be. But in that particular church, there were certain prophets and teachers. And what we need to see with that is just simply, you know, I'm not a prophet, I'm not a teacher. But don't see that. Just see, there were people there who were spiritually gifted. Because again, if you're a born-again believer, you are spiritually gifted to some capacity for God's purposes. So in this particular church, this one happened to be in Antioch, There were certain prophets and teachers. There was this group of people who were gifted by the Spirit. It names the people because it's important to understand that these were real people at some point in history. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord. They weren't just gifted by the Spirit and just let it go at that. They just didn't let it go at, hey, I'm a teacher, I'm a prophet. They got down and and they did the work. They ministered or they served the Lord, and it says, and they fasted. Fasting always is connecting with praying. So these were people who were seeking after the Lord. And after, I don't know what the period of time was, but I do know it was just as long as as is necessary. The Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul to the work which I have called them. And so you had these two men that were just a part of the local church. They were gifted by the Holy Spirit just as we all were. They had a testimony, but we all have a testimony. They were born again, and it was in the midst of that that God's calling was very well known or became very well known so that they went out from that church and God did great things through them. And so what we really need to see here is is that as they were focused upon godliness, God did a great thing. Back in... Second Chronicles chapter 17, verses 3 and 4. Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals. The Baals were the false gods of the land, really the false gods of the heathens of the land that had influenced even into Judah. But Jehoshaphat, verse 4, but he sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the acts of Israel. 
Israel, the northern kingdom, there is not one king that is said he did what was right in the sight of God. All of the northern kings were evil men. But we have Jehoshaphat, who has a like testimony with his father Esau, that he did do what was right in the sight of God. Now, what is being used as a gauge here to determine his relationship with God? Well, that he walked with God. What does it mean to walk with God? To walk with God, a person will walk or live his life God's way. So to walk with the Lord is to walk according to how God has determined we need to walk. So again, keep in mind, to walk means how we live our lives. And so to live my life with the Lord, well, Jehoshaphat, his map for his life was God's word. It, it, that, that was what he used to walk with God. Verse 4, he sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments or in God's word and not according to the acts of Israel. Not as the world lives or walks did he walk, but he walked or he lived his life according to the word of God. We're told in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5, to trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And that can be hard, <clears throat> excuse me, and that can be difficult. A walk with the Lord, it's going to require that we die to ourselves. A walk with the Lord, it's going to require that we go contrary to what we've been taught in the past and who we were taught that we needed to be. It's to have a humble spirit. But the world will tell you, if you have a humble spirit, you're going to get taken advantage of. But God says, I'll I'll watch over you. I'll I'll never leave you. I'll I'll never forsake you. The world tells us that if we exhibit love, we're going to get taken advantage of. But these are things that God has told us that are to be attributes of our lives. And so to effectively walk with anyone, we must walk on the same path. The path that we have been given is this light unto our path which is the Bible. This is the manual, excuse me, so that we would know what is required to have that walk with God. We must walk, if you want to walk with somebody, you must walk at the same pace, that God would be by my side every step of the way, and we must be going to the same place, to same path, same pace, and same place. What's the place? Well, the place is really different for all of us because we're all walking with God to the will of God. And God's will for each and every one of us is going to be different to some degree. doesn't mean that everybody's called out of this church and very well in this church, but for specific ministries. God uses the illustration through the Apostle Paul that we are to be a fully functioning body where every member does its part. And so as we walk with the Lord, we're able to fulfill the calling of God within our lives. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Speaking of the Holy Spirit. If we live in the Spirit as we seek to do that which the Holy Spirit has directed us to do, let us walk in the Spirit. Let us walk in the direction that the Spirit has given us. And the Spirit is always synonymous with the Word of God. It's how the Spirit speaks to us, is got through God's Word. To walk with God is to not walk in fear or insecurity, especially as we see evilness prevailing throughout the world. And so our day, the internet, the alphabet news shows that are out there, 
The sky is falling. The sky is falling. It, it just seems like everything is falling apart, and it seems like our side is losing. And we can so allow that to overwhelm us. And then even on top of that, we have the sky is falling ministries that tell us of all the bad things that are going on in the world. We already know that. It says right here, you can look at Matthew chapter 24 through 25 when Jesus is giving the Olivet Discourse and he's speaking of wars and rumors of wars and pestilences. Or you can go to the end of the Bible and you can see how bad it's really going to get. But it just doesn't happen on one day. There's a progression, or I guess I should say a regression to godlessness. And so as we are headed towards end times, it's going to get harder, it's going to get tougher, and it's going to get more godless. But that's okay, because Jesus said that would happen. You don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever prayed that prayer? Lord, come. Come for your church. Lord, come and take us, Lord. Lord, we so look for that time of your coming. We ask, pray, Lord Jesus, that you would come now. If you've ever prayed that prayer, there's a lot that goes along with it. And all of those things that we see in end-time theology, those things are going to come. The Antichrist at some point is going to come, and he's going to deceive the world. But that's okay. As far as us and the church, although we may experience some of that, the Antichrist will not be revealed until we are raptured, until we are taken out of the picture. But those who are around during those times are going to experience some of the evilness evilness that has never been experienced before. But if I'm walking with God, I'm not to have fear. Matter of fact, I'll have a security. We are more than conquerors in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And that means we're able to overcome that which is contrary to him. Because keep in mind, that which is contrary to him will manifest itself in being contrary to us. But I would know that as I walk with him, I am kept with him, not just from his judgments, but also the dangers of the devil. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. I mentioned this before, and I was reminded the other day, a friend of mine dropped in unexpectedly on Thursday. And we were talking, and we were in our front room, and he was looking at our pictures up on the wall. And one of the things my wife has framed is the marriage license of her, was it your grandparents or great? Grandparents. Anyway, it's in German. And it was just around, I believe it was 1939 was the date. It was around in that time. And she also has diaries for around that time, and there's, there's verbiage in there. We had so-and-so's birthday party today, but we also noticed on the way that there's tanks going down the Autobahn, um, those people with stars on their business, that there was a big riot the other night, and their businesses are being crushed and smashed and all of these things. They're on the cusp of World War II. And, and again, this is from a German perspective. And my wife had always prayed to the Lord that he would reveal to her where her grandparents' heart was with God. And when she was visiting my mother-in-law, my mother-in-law gave her a lot of that memorabilia. And one of the things, again, was that marriage license that she has there. And it's all official and German and all of that. And then written on the bottom is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And God just used that to minister to her. And we see these people who are trusting in Lord at the cusp of these events that were changing the world at the time. 
To walk with God is to walk God's way. It's to not walk in fear. It's to trust in the Lord with every step that you take. Because remember, you're walking on the same path, the same pace, in the same place. To walk with God is also to walk by faith. To understand as I walk with him, he's never going to bring me to a place that he is unable to protect me, unable to keep me. Hebrews 11.6, but without faith, it is impossible to please him, to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It takes tremendous faith to walk with God for a lifetime. And that's one of my prayers that I...